heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. You know, my, my heart, again, goes out to so many people. And the problem here, my friends, is the, the confusion out there is, is really tied to a lot of the uh, agenda, the, the media reports, the government agencies, the others that are not doing their job. You know, as uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and I were talking uh, just this last Q&A we did, this is really the job of government agencies and officials who should be doing this and really providing thorough answers uh, to the many questions that Americans have, but it's clearly not happening. We got a lot to talk about today. I want to jump right into it here. Uh, joining me here on the program now is Dr. Peter McCullough is here. He's an academic internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. Uh, certainly, he's considered among the world's top experts on COVID-19 pandemic response. In short order, my friends, Dr. McCullough has become the go-to source uh, for folks around the world, and, and surely people can feel his passion and his love, and that is why uh, people seek his advice, because you know you're getting uh, real information back, uh, and that's important. We're going to jump right into the Q&A here now, and I want to go, and we'll use first names only. Uh, Brenda says, I started following Dr. McCullough about a month ago and have been following him since. He is truly a blessing, and we are also grateful to have him speak the truth. Why his extensive knowledge on this pandemic has been stifled is beyond tragic. We, the general public, are so confused and inundated and mixed with misinformation by the CDC, NIH, and WHO, and current administration, and so appreciative of a qualified doctor speaking out about this. It is truly a crime that more voices such as this are not being acknowledged. Thank you again, and please more Dr. McCullough. And also so happy you and your wife, Malcolm, are now on the mend to keep up the great work at America Out Loud. It is so appreciated. I wanted to start with that comment, Dr. McCullough, it's it, from Brenda. It's not so much a question, but it is an interesting comment and thought back to the impact you're having on people. Are you aware of the impact you're having on the American people? Malcolm, it's great to be on the other side of the microphone from you. And it really is gratifying to hear these types of wonderful comments. I think one of the key words in that whole uh, statement that she made was about qualified. What America is not seen as qualified people uh, in front of them giving guidance on pandemic response, including early treatment. When I mean qualified, I mean board certified. You know, I am board certified in internal medicine and cardiovascular disease. I maintain my board certifications. I'm in my fourth decade of board certification in internal medicine. I see and examine patients every week. I treat patients with COVID-19 to prevent hospitalization and death. Uh, I advise many other doctors on how to do it. When have we seen someone at that level of qualification in front of the American people? Mm -hmm. It's basically myself and a few others. It's definitely none of the individuals from our public health agencies. Our CDC, NIH, and FDA are suffering of a crisis of quality and ineptitude. They are not up to the task of dealing with this, uh, as you know, 
brutal infection that is uh, hitting so many Americans. Now's the time for an A-team to be installed and guide us through the pandemic. Amen to that. And well, that's why people say you're God sent. Uh, and it's because you have the courage. And uh, the problem why a lot of them don't is they, they have fallen into the trap of listening to uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the, the agencies and the political leadership. But it takes courage. It takes courage to stand out and be a sole leader, which is actually the definition of leadership, by the way. All right. These uh, first couple of uh, emails and questions are very, very important. And, and these, these are a couple that have just come in the last day or so, and these are vital life and death questions I want to get to. The first one is from Misty. She says, my best friend's husband is fighting for his life in the hospital with double pneumonia and COVID. He is currently on a ventilator, and Lisa, my best friend, has requested to the doctors for Mike, her husband, to have the proper meds to help him along with vitamin C and D, and they are refusing she has been told to get a lawyer to help her with the rest, uh, but she doesn't know how, who to go to. I recommend she change doctors, but she doesn't know anyone where she is. I'm reaching out to see if you might have some guidance. She doesn't want to lose her husband, and nor do I want to lose our friend. Please, if you can help, contact me. What do you say to Misty and something like this, Dr. McCullough? We are overwhelmed with calls of desperation, very similar to that, where Americans have gotten the impression that their loved ones are not receiving adequate care in the hospital. You know why they develop that impression is they see how intensively we treat COVID-19 at home. We use four to six drugs in combination. Uh, we had Joe Rogan uh, on TV saying he developed COVID-19, how he received monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, prednisone. He received how I drew it up for Americans in the two seminal publications in August and December of 2020. I have 57 authors with me in the one in December. We had the world's elite team of treating doctors. Joe Rogan received what every American should receive at high risk. Sadly, patients are in the hospital now. They're past that pre-hospital phase. Uh, the hospital care actually is a step down from home care. And so what families are doing is the lead organization that takes uh, consults on this is the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net. I would go there uh, and get uh, into a communication with one of the leaders there, uh, the leading attorney who's taking these cases to court and winning. He takes cases to court, basically showing that the doctors in the hospitals are practicing what's called therapeutic nihilism. That is, they're denying patients life-saving treatments. His name is Ralph Lorigo, L-O-R-I-G-O. Ralph Lorigo has won case after case. Since when in America do we have to take hospitals and doctors to court to get high-quality inpatient care? Yeah, it seems like these days. Again, that website is flcc.net. And so that's the advice back uh, for, uh, for Misty to do. Um, this is an interesting segue, and this one is from Jennifer. Uh, she says, my husband, Christopher, is in critical condition in Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in New Hampshire. He's been incubated and put on ECMO with all kinds of meds that I'm hearing won't work. As you can imagine, these treatments come with a laundry list of damage causing side effects. He's dying under this care. I'm hoping to have a physician look over his medical records and tell me if there is anything else that can be done. I've been trying so hard to reach someone that can help. I've started documenting his ordeal on my website. Please take a look and see who he is. See how much he deserves a chance to be saved. I pray you can help us. Now, the reason I start with these two questions is because you can hear the desperation in their voices and in their messages here. So here's another one, Dr. McCullough. 
they're being taken down the wrong road with the hospital. They're not getting the right care. They, they feel they're losing their grip and they are trying to get, in this case, another physician. But the problem is, it, what I wanna preface here is the clock is against these people. Every hour, every day that goes by uh, is another hour or day toward a possible death sentence for somebody. This is really tricky when time is uh, of the importance. I mean, really you're talking another doctor and an attorney for legal, but is there time to get on those to turn them around to impact somebody when they're put on an incubator like this? But many times, uh, unfortunately, time has run out, particularly when a patient's on ECMO or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And I think to be fair to the hospitals and doctors, we can't assume in each and every case that uh, the care is sub suboptimal or not up to standards. Um, but patients uh, need to engage with their uh, doctors and understand the principles. The principles are at the stage of uh, hospitalization and low oxygen levels, the main problem is blood clots, blood clots to the lungs. That's what causes the impairment in oxygenation. Patients need full dose anticoagulation and full dose aspirin uh, as you know, our only means to allow the body to dissolve the blood clots and get the oxygen flowing again. Uh, so we can't assume in each and every case that um, there is suboptimal care, but we strongly encourage certainly the doctors and the patients to engage in a dialogue. I can tell you ECMO is really the end of the line. You can't offer uh, really a higher level of care. And once the patient has mechanical intub intub um, intubation, mechanical ventilation, intubation, and ECMO, that's full life support. I mean, that's as much as we can do. And at that point in time, we really are hoping the body can turn around with that good supportive care. You, you've got to, my message to these folks is it, really you need a miracle at this point is what I get out of it, uh, Dr. McCullough, is that, I mean, and miracles happen, but you have to pray and, and you have to really ask for that miracle, I think. That's the best advice I can say, as you say, a lot of this stuff that they're looking for is really early treatment. At that point, early treatment, they're way past that point, aren't they? It's true. We're way past that point. We have, uh, you know, two to four weeks to, um, uh, you know, in order to get early treatment going and avoid this disaster, each and every case that ends up way down the line in ECMO. When we go back on a timeline, we look at days one, two, three, four, five, and we had a tremendous opportunity there. And unfortunately, those days slipped away. Patients uh, to learn so it can help others, they always think they're having a mild case. But in fact, everyone starts out as a mild case and then it becomes severe. That's the reason why it's called SARS-CoV-2, sudden acute respiratory distress syndrome. So they suddenly crash. I was on this week with Alex Jones, who had COVID-19. And Alex told the listeners, listen, I felt great on day one and two, but I crashed on day three. And I said, that's the reason why we call it that way. So start early in high-risk people over age 50 with medical problems with sequenced multidrug therapy. Yeah. So last word on that with Jennifer and then the one before that, Misty, um, I, I, I'm certainly praying for you both that your families and loved ones uh, heal. But again, a miracle there. And again, uh, for me, uh, I would never give up. So I would contact the legal firm uh, to see what can be done. And I would certainly push hard with the hospital to do everything that could possibly be done. That's the best you can really say at that point, I believe. So, you know, speaking about attorneys, here's one from an attorney, uh, Dr. McCullough. This is from Paris Lee. Um, hello, I am an affiliate attorney with Liberty Council, who you've referenced several times, Sir Dr. McCullough. 
Um, this is with reference to something Dr. McCullough mentioned on a recent podcast uh, with uh, prophylactics concerning oral and nasal swabs. Uh, I went to the Truth For Life, but I couldn't see the update mentioning the nasal swab. Can you tell me what specific nasal swab or brand is recommended? And can I purchase this over the counter? Yeah, that should be upstated uh, soon. Uh, but the principles are to use uh, povidone iodine or betadine. That's the brown liquid that doctors use to sterilize wounds in the ER and operating room. You can get a bottle of this, honestly, for a dollar at the drugstore or an Amazon. And all you need is a few drops of the brown liquid in a juice glass size of water. Pour the water in, it'll turn brown, and then swish it and spit it, gargle it twice a day. Spit it out, don't swallow it. And you can take a Q-tip and swab the inside of the nose or just take a, a nose dropper and spray it up there and then snort it out. That effectively kills the virus. And to do this twice a day, this has been done in Singapore and Asia. America's really lost out on this idea. Everyone's been focused on hand sanitizer. Well, the problem is the virus is up in the nose and the mouth. We actually need to have nasal and oral hygiene. So uh, the povidone iodine or betadine, that's the number one way to go. If there's an iodine sensitivity or allergy, that um, we can use dilute hydrogen peroxide, uh, dilute sodium hypochlorite, which is actually bleach. Believe it or not, you can put a few drops of household bleach and do the same thing. Don't swallow it, spit it out. Um, and then the least effective, but still can be done is Listerine. So um, everybody should have a oral nasal hygiene. Those who are at risk for COVID-19 having contact. If you were to get in contact with a red hot COVID patient, you find out about it later that night, increase it to four times a day. I learned this from anti-infective dentist, Paul Gossett in Chicago. Paul texted me the other day saying he had a red hot COVID patient. He was doing a dental procedure. He found out about it later on and that he put the patient and himself on this extensive regimen. And within a few days, the patient cleared up without getting sick and he never got COVID himself. Incredible. Wow. All right. So now they've got that information there. Let me go on to Darcy. Uh, she says, I'm looking specifically for the name of the T-cell test and how to get it. Wonderful interview with Dr. McCullough again. Thank you. That T-cell test, that's a website they go to, isn't it? Yeah, that's t-detect.com. T-detect.com. Go through the sign-up process uh, and pay the money and the medical director will approve it. No personal doctor needed. And then you can go to LabCorp and get your blood drawn and get the results in about a week. tdetect.com. It tests for T-cell immunity. It is uh, complementary to what's known about antibodies, particularly if someone thought they had COVID and they didn't hit an antibody test, get a T-detect test to prove your immunity. Okay, perfect. Now here's one we're getting a lot of different uh, questions on. And uh, Olivia says, I am seeking exemptions for wearing a mask. I'm seeing a lot of these actually. My university needs a medical approval before continuing the process. I'm deeply concerned about my health and well-being while wearing a mask. So I was hoping you could help me. What do people do in this case? I think people um, ought to be uh, fairly aggressive with medical as well as religious exemptions on all of these mandates that do not have any standing with respect to our agencies. You know, our agencies don't demand these masks. Uh, they don't demand vaccines. And so the um, institutions that are demanding them, in a sense, are doing a, uh, an overreach. Uh, they're trying to limit medical freedom in an attempt to overreach and in a sense, trying to punish their employees or their students. And so this 
kind of evil doing, if you will, has to be combated with full medical and religious exemptions. What would be the medical exemptions? Well, a history of sinusitis, respiratory problems, anything where you need uh, air exchange, uh, dental problems, et cetera. All of these uh, individuals should not be wearing masks. Now, masks are only effective if somebody has COVID. So if you have two people in a room and they don't have COVID and they're well, obviously they can't pass COVID to one another. So putting masks on them doesn't do anything at all. If a patient develops fever, sinus congestion, let's say a student at school or somebody at work, they need to remove themselves from work, put on a mask and go home. That's really the only purpose of masking. If individual is sick at home, they should not go to work and they should not go to school um, during the illness period and they should get an appropriate test. If we just had sick person and sick student and sick child protocols, we wouldn't have to have any, any masking issues at work at all. This um, the next one is on uh, from Larry on vaccines, and this will probably help uh, a few people. There's a couple of questions in here very interesting. Uh, he says, I'm 69. My wife is 59. We had COVID in November. I had a severe case and was hospitalized for nine days. Wow. My wife, who has uh, type 2 diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis, had a light case. We were counseled by our doctor to get the Pfizer vaccine three months later. And I've seen a lot of these, Dr. McCullough, where after they've had it, the medical establishments and hospitals and doctors, you see after the fact, because they've done this with my wife and myself too, they keep pushing the vaccine really hard and they hammer you because you had it already. They, they really push the fact you've got to get it. Uh, and so... Uh, let me pause there a moment and ask you, is there any benefit to getting a vaccine after you've already had COVID and gone down that path? First of all, let me ask you that. No benefit whatsoever. The FDA knows this. The vaccine manufacturers know this. The FDA strictly excludes COVID recovered patients from the registered trials. Uh, there's never been a single study showing an ounce of benefit of taking a vaccine after COVID. Remember, the vaccine is not treatment. The vaccine is to prevent the initial case of COVID. It doesn't have any role once you've already had the illness. Wow. I, I hope everybody hears what doctor, because this is one of the biggest questions we get in all the time. Now, Larry goes on to say this, Dr. McCauley. He said, well, you just heard your advice that we just gave, but listen to what he says. We did both get the shots because of the pressure. I am a pastor and many people ask my opinion on vaccines again. So he's one of the people that people are asking after listening to your podcast and your programs on natural immunity. My questions are one, we have had no side effects that we are aware of from the vaccine. Does this mean we are free from future side effects? That's the first question. Should we forego any boosters in the future? What do you say about those two questions? You know, I don't advise patients regarding the vaccine because they're still under investigational use and they're offered free through the public program. So doctors don't prescribe them or give a medical order for them. Once they become approved, and none of them, by the way, are approved, once they become approved and patients' insurances have to pay for them and doctors have to order them, I think that's a whole different ballgame. And then I will be exercising my judgment on this. But let me say this, that half of Americans have taken the vaccine. The vast majority of individuals had a sore arm. They haven't had any complications. You know, they should be wary that there hasn't been any long-term follow-up on these vaccines. And the, the FDA does have warnings out for neurologic and cardiac injury. So I think people need to be 
aware that down the line, there could be a problem in the heart and the brain, potentially in the immune system yeah, or the yeah. blood system. But we shouldn't go day to day uh, in fear that we've taken a vaccine. The majority of people took the vaccine. They haven't had a problem. We've had 545,000 Americans, different story. They've been injured by the vaccine. We've had 13,000 have died after the vaccine, totally different story. But those who did well, I think they should follow the data. Uh, I have a recent America Out Loud um, McCullough report in a posting that said, listen, we're waiting for the vaccine re report card. Who's going to take a booster until the CDC and FDA tell us which vaccine's a winner, which is a loser, and which one's in the middle? We have three products. And I can tell you, Malcolm, they're not the same. At this point in time, there must be a winner. There must be a loser. And Americans need a choice if they're going to be asked to take a booster. Yeah, these are, again, emergency use authorizations. So as what Dr. McCullough says, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know the long-term effects of any of this yet. So nobody can guess at that. So that we can't really answer your question there. What about when he says forego any boosters? Do you, again, it's the same principle, isn't it? Or isn't it with the boosters? You know, it would be the same uh, principle. Right now, mm -hmm. we know the problem is the Delta variant. The Delta variant is not covered adequately by the current vaccine, certainly not Pfizer. For sure. We have very good data, Pfizer failing on the Delta. So we would want to see a vaccine that has at least 50% protection that can at least last a year. And then we would want to see a booster that's safe and effective. And the booster covers the new variants, just like the annual flu shot covers the new strains of flu. Until we see that, I think Americans ought to uh, really be waiting and, and, and putting pressure on our agencies to be transparent with the data. And, and I, this last piece he asked, and I, I haven't heard an answer to this, but he says, did the vaccine destroy our natural immunity? So the fact that he had it, they had the COVID, got the vaccine, which is wrong to begin with, we believe. And now he's wondering, did the vaccine destroy the natural immunity? Not that I can see. Right. I, I would think not probably as well. All right. Bill says trying to find the most accurate information on how many people died from the three vaccines and had adverse effects would like to know the world numbers. How do they find those? The U.S. numbers are available at openvaers.com slash data openvaers.com slash data. The worldwide reports can be found on um, the European medicine agencies. You have to go to the different websites, the MHRA yellow card system. One would have to do a, a Google search. And then in many countries, we don't know. On America Out Loud, I had a leader from Malaysia recently, and I asked where are the data about uh, Malaysians who died after the vaccine. He says, there's no information, none. The same thing is true in India. I, I interviewed uh, with the lead Indian attorney in the Supreme Court of India, and you know who's a, who's a barrister there and deals with the Supreme Court officials. He said, no data. So we don't have the worldwide number about vaccine deaths, but the numbers we've seen are far over the line in terms of concern on safety. All right, uh, you're talking about the VAERS uh, uh, data, which you were just talking about. Peggy asked, how accurate is the VAERS data? Whenever I post VAERS into any social media, inevitably people will say that data cannot be trusted. It can only not be trusted in terms of being an underrepresentation of the problem. Everything we know, papers published from very good institutions have always found the VAERS underreports the problem because in order to, re to report, let's say a death on the VAERS uh, system, we actually have to know the person who died. We have to have their vaccine card. We have to have their lot numbers. We have to be able to read all that. We have to be able to enter that, have all that information in there. The CDC has to verify it, get the death certificates. And it's a big deal to get a VAERS death. So you can imagine 
uh, in the uh, commotion of a death that's occurred outside the hospital or inside the home, many times the vaccine cards are lost. Uh, the body is taken away. Sometimes the clothes and belongings aren't there. And before you know it, we don't have a vaccine card. As soon as we don't have a vaccine card, we're dead in the water. We can't actually, we can't report a vaccine death. So right now the estimates are CDC has certified the 13,000 Americans have lost their lives with the vaccine. Uh, data from McLaughlin and Rose uh, separately have analyzed the data uh, show that 50% of the deaths occur within 48 hours, 80% occur within a week, 86% of the time there's no other explanation. It looks like the vaccine caused it. Now we have a, a whistleblower lawsuit. CMS contractor says, based on CMS data a month ago, that 45,000 Americans have lost their life. That 45,000 is probably an underestimate, but we don't know by how much. All right, uh, Georgine has an interesting vaccine dilemma. Long story short, she was to receive the vaccine twice and backed out at the last minute. Now, I, I say I, this is interesting, this message, because a lot of people can relate to Georgine. So she was going to get it twice, backed out at the last minute, feeling that she had to follow what she felt her heart was feeling. I was still being told months later by my cardiologist that due to my heart condition, as well as the high blood pressure, and I'm age 87 and a little overweight, that his fear was for me. And I did get uh, th that if she got COVID-19, he believes it will not go well with me if she gets it. My primary care doctor was the same. They told me all of them and the staff have had it and I should get it, not listen to social media and others. My adult kids were also pulling for me to go get it. I did get it. And I can tell you, I have felt it was the wrong decision for me ever since. Is there, now here's the question that I think is tricky. Is there any way of getting rid of the effects it can have on my future or reversing it? I have read some feel those who got it will not be around long, couple of years. How can I find out if this is true? Now I say that question, Dr. McCullough, because it sounds a little simple and I mean, obvious, but it's really not. A lot of people would feel the same way Georgine does. And that's because of the bad information out there that people are getting. So you can't really reverse this thing once you do it, can you? That's the hard thing with the vaccine. You know, unlike a, a medicine, we can always stop the medicine, right? We can stop taking the pill or stop taking the infusion. With the vaccine, it's one and done. Once it's in the body, there's nothing you can do. Uh, the CDC is pretty clear about this, that if there's been a severe reaction with shot one of a two-shot series to not take the second shot, the CDC is pretty clear about that and certainly not take a booster. So if the first shot didn't go well, then definitely should not take the second shot. Uh, we have had no guidance on crossing from one brand to another, so that shouldn't be done. Uh, if the vaccine has been administered and been tolerated well, I don't see any problem with just kind of going with the flow and observing for any problems. We don't want to create a lot of excessive alarm at this point in time. Uh, the vaccine injuries uh, do emerge over the weeks or months after administration. The CDC asks uh, those individuals who took the vaccine, they signed consent, they're told that these are investigational. We don't know if they're going to work. We don't know if they're going to be safe. And we have to just be wary of changes in our health after the vaccine. Okay. Um, Amy says, listening to your weekly program has been such a great support to help me understand all about the virus and stand up for myself against this COVID derangement syndrome, she called. I haven't heard that before. That would be called CDS, COVID derangement syndrome. Interesting. All right. Uh, the question, she says, I'm an unvaccinated healthcare worker. 
I was directly exposed to COVID last spring many times, but never got the virus, as far as I know. I've taken the 5,000, the 10,000 vitamin D, 50 milligrams of zinc, 100 milligrams of vitamin C every day for one and a half years. I've recently started taking five milligrams of ivermectin weekly. My question is if I should get the T detect test for immunity. Uh, she's wondering, is it possible to have full immunity and not gotten the virus or symptoms? Should I be more concerned about getting the virus or future variants? I feel at a disadvantage and vulnerable to what variants are coming. Do I have greater risk the longer I do not get it? I feel compelled to keep up the regimen, but wondered if there's a risk of toxicity of these vitamin D or zinc. Uh, so she's dealing with HR problems, pressure, she goes on to say, but you get the point of her questions in her story. What do you think? I think the vitamins and supplements sound fine. Uh, you know, uh, ivermectin now, if it's going to be taken prophylactically, the current recommendations by FLCC is roughly 18 milligrams twice a week. So that ivermectin dose is way below those levels or it's hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams twice a day, one day a week. But most people, unless they have really serious uh, lung disease, and they're very high risk. We don't uh, recommend medicinal prophylaxis. They simply need the vitamins and supplements. And then the oral nasal hygiene that we went over, Malcolm, very dilute, povidone, iodine, or betadine twice a day, nose and mouth. All right. Very good. All right. Let me uh, just uh, reset the table here. We're speaking with Dr. Peter McCullough here on The Voice of a Nation. Uh, it is Malcolm Aloud here. And uh, listen, we are really just trying to provide an education back with all the questions. There are so many questions coming in here to the network. Some of them may seem like you've heard it before, some part of it. But you know, to me, the way I see it is every question is an important question and is personal to the person who's asking. So that's why I use the first names. And that's why I want to respect people's questions and their thoughts and try to get these answers back out. Now, I want to say to you, Helen, uh, and this is an interesting point uh, that I want to bring to folks. She says, as we wait for the mockingbird media to stop its lies and control over the American people, well, good luck with that, Helen, huh? We need to get the message out to the nursing homes and hospitals about the damage of the vaccines. Lots of my friends and family are dead due to this vaccine. We cannot bring them back. I am in need of finding a way to help people. People are being forced to take the jab and keep their jobs. Uh, they do not realize the seriousness of this. What can I do to assist the message to be put out there? And that is Helen who asked that. And the reason I put that one before we pause here, because I, I want to say to you all, you know, the biggest thing we can all do is get the information out there. It's to share the messages, the articles, the, the podcasts, the shows, the programs, <clears throat> share all the things we have back on the platform at America Out Loud, share Dr. McCullough's um, show, The McCullough Report. But I think by sharing the information and getting it out to those who uh, are not in tune is the best we can do. So as far as how to assist, that's probably the best way to assist that I would say. Uh, thank you, Helen, for, for writing in and, and asking that. And you're right with the lies and control of the American people that are, that are out there. I think somebody called it just moments ago, COVID derangement syndrome. Very interesting way to put it, CDS. It is a bit of a disease onto itself, isn't it, really, when you think about it here? Well, as we pause here, I want to remind you all, we are working very hard back at America Out Loud to get all of the, these questions answered, but to also get the truth out there, to save our republic, uh, but to help people through this mind-boggling chapter we're in uh, of COVID, which is 
uh, again, COVID derangement syndrome that people have. Uh, there's an answer to these things that we've been talking about over the last couple of years with Dr. McCullough and, and a lot of others on the team. Uh, early treatment is the key to these things. And if we stay on top of it prophylactically, uh, we have a good chance to fight all of this. I've got a little personal uh, story and a message to give you after the pause that I think you'll find very, very interesting. Also want to mention to you quickly here, HealthyCell.com interesting company that is doing a lot to fight these kinds of things that we're having here. Their, their host of products are gel form, so they're outstanding. And you take the gel form, whether it's, a, well, they got REM sleep, helps you sleep at night, focus, helps your brain and focus on the important things. Because we all are so deluded today with all of the things that are coming at us. Uh, having the proper rest and having the proper focus are two of the things that I think help us all. And then it's, instead of the old vitamins that a lot of people are still taking, taken uh, that again, as Healthy Cell says, haven't been reinvented since the 1930s. Uh, their daily regimen is liquid form, it's gel. So it gets into your system much quicker. I highly recommend it. I've been taking Healthy Cell now for three and a half years and it is fantastic. All of our listeners get 20% off that first order. Uh, you can click the banner ad back at America Out Loud or uh, just simply type in healthycell.com forward slash out loud in your browser, and you will also get that 20% off there. I highly recommend the product. Again, I have a long history with them. I, I, you know, we've got to take care of ourselves. That's the biggest thing, lifestyle. You've got to protect your, your immune system. That's what I see. And you know, that's with any virus, any cold, any disease, healthy immune system, and you have a good shot at getting through whatever uh, is being thrown at you, I would suggest to you back there. Uh, we're gonna take a pause here and we'll be back with more Voice of a Nation just after this. Listen to Malcolm, the Voice of a Nation on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor 
for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. voice of a nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud, yours truly here, and happy to be with you here. We're doing these Q&As. Again, they've been so successful and so needed, and so many people are asking for more of these and more information. And we've got a lot of questions to answer here. We're with Dr. Peter McCullough here today and going through a lot of these here. Uh, I want to get to this message that came in to me. Uh, very interesting. Many of you out there know that uh, I had COVID recently, and my wife did as well. And a couple of listeners wrote in, and I want to share with you about this. One said, Malcolm, I was so sorry to hear that you and your wife had COVID. It sounded like it was a pretty bad case. I was wondering if both of you had been on the prophylactic regimen before you came down with the symptoms. It is scary to think that the early treatment was ineffective and that your wife almost did not make it. So much emphasis has been placed on early treatment. Just wondered if we should all be on the prophylactic programs. Thank you for your program and, and so on. So listen, I, I mean, I, I was taking uh, some A, D, zinc, that sort of thing as a regular regimen. I was taking, you know, those kinds of things, but I really wasn't doing anything more uh, prior to that. So, but I did early treatment when I got the symptoms, when it hit us, that's when we jumped into early treatment and started the ivermectin and started all of the things in the regiment that we talked about with zinc, AD, all of that. Uh, and I think we played it right. But there's another email here that I, and I want to question Dr. McCullough in a moment on this too, but this is from Audrey. She said, I listened to the Q&A with Malcolm and Dr. McCullough. Malcolm and his wife became very ill with COVID and had used all the recommended at-home treatments plus recommended supplements, yet his wife nearly died. That was very frightening to listeners. My question is, would her illness have been less severe if she'd been vaccinated? So uh, Dr. McCullough, I bring that up. Not only is it a personal question and thought here, but uh, you know, I wanted people to know um, that uh, really what happened here, I, I, I need folks to know, this is important. Audrey, my wife was in a terrible car accident about six, seven weeks before we got COVID. Uh, she was hit in a head-on collision. Somebody crossed the double line and hit the front of her vehicle, totaled everything, threw her and my son in a ditch, almost killed them. So she's had two near-death experiences inside of about seven weeks. My point to tell you is this her immune system was compromised badly. She had a lot of damage in her chest and had been suffering from that accident. So let me say to you, a lot of it comes back to what condition we're in our lives and our lifestyle. Uh, had she not had that, Dr. McCullough, I don't think we would have been hit as heavy or she would have been because she was very healthy, never had any problems. But I think the fact that she had this massive accident just before this happened, it compromised her, her, her own immune system, her health, her chest. And that's where COVID got in there and really wreaked havoc with her chest. I think that had a lot to do with it. And I wanted Audrey to know it had nothing to do with the vaccination. We didn't, we were not vaccinated and we're, and we're happy with the decisions we made. We wouldn't change anything. What do you say to all that? I agree with that. And the CDC agrees as well. 
that uh, pre-existing conditions really increase the mortality as well as the risk of hospitalization for patients with COVID-19. So not only did she take a hit with the immune system outcome, but her chest wall mechanics were down. So she could not manage this uh, tremendous difficulty in breathing. Uh, but we had data from IP and colleagues and others in New Jersey uh, that if we can get some early treatment in, which we did in her case, and we've got as much in as humanly possible, and you were the one really doing the first line administration of the medications, what we did is we turned a hospitalization, which would have been on the mechanical ventilator, potentially fatal, we turned a hospitalization into about a five to seven day affair, and she got out of it, no ventilator, no ECMO, uh, and she's back home. So experience, I'd just been uh, texting with one of my patients who very sick, he had COPD, heart failure. He's got a defibrillator in, diabetes, obesity. He got COVID-19. Uh, we got him an early monoclonal antibody infusion. We did everything we could with drugs. He said, Dr. McCall, I just can't make it. We checked him into the hospital. He got additional medicines in the hospital. Same thing, Malcolm, about a five-day hospital admission and he went home, but no ventilator. He survived. He's out doing his business today. Yeah. Well, I got to uh, share with listeners and, and Dr. McCullough, you yourself, you know how panicked I was because we were talking when this was happening in real time. And uh, you yeah, listen, I, I thank God almighty. I, I know we are counting our blessings here. Believe me, I take nothing for granted. And I almost lost it. There's no question about it. But, you know, we did everything we could have done. And, and what Dr. McCullough says is so important. They please understand this. We worked really hard and diligently every moment to get that early treatment in her. And I mean, I, I was giving her the shots. What is that? No, Novatin or something it's called? The, the Lo Lovinox. Yeah, Lovinox. Lovinox, which is the uh, for the blood thinner and all of that. I mean, I, I was home care. I was doing all of this for about six, seven, about six days it was actually before I had no choice because her oxygen levels had fallen too low. But we worked really hard at getting the early treatment in her and it was very successful. Uh, it made all the difference because here's the problem. Once she got into the hospital, she would have got none of that. The answer for them is to put her on a ventilator uh, because you don't have the oxygen flow. So we worked really hard getting all that in her and it made the difference, Dr. McCullough, didn't it? I agree. You can imagine a different scenario where she got zero early treatment, right. nothing. I can tell you 100% chance she would have been on the ventilator and likely she wouldn't have made it. That's exactly it. So we are counting our blessings here. I know early treatment works. I know the regiment is right there. I'm a big advocate for all of this. I've lived it in my own life. I had it myself. My wife had it. So believe me, friends, uh, I, I get it. I get it. And we are blessed that D is here because so many others did not make it. We were lucky. That's all I can say to you. And possibly our miracle was answered back to earlier in the program when we talked about a miracle. That's what I was talking about. I mean, I was praying fast and furious when all this was happening, believe me. Let me get on to the questions here. This one is from Coldy. She says, I am seven months pregnant right now. We are a family of unvaccinated members with the exception of my husband's parents. My question is about the possibility of the spike protein impacting our baby once he is born in the case that my husband's parents visit. Is this... Uh, is this doomed or is this, uh, do we need to postpone or am I over worrying? Well, let's pick up on that last question. We negated to answer this issue of would the vaccine have made your wife's illness uh, a less severe illness? The CDC now has thousands of vaccine failures on their website, thousands. 
Uh, in fact, thousands that have been hospitalized or died after being fully vaccinated. And so we know it's possible, uh, unfortunately, about 80% of those who get hospitalized or die after vaccination are over the age of 65. Uh, so we don't know if the vaccine actually makes it uh, a milder illness for, let's say, somebody in their 30s, 40s, or 50s. Uh, the FDA review of the data with the Pfizer vaccine that happened on August 23rd, there was zero signs that it made COVID-19 milder and zero signs that it reduced death from the Pfizer data. And that's the legacy data from the prior strains. I can tell you my anecdotal experience because I treat both uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated patients as they develop COVID. My anecdotal experience is yes, that the vaccine makes it an easier illness to treat, but I can't confirm that right now. Yeah, uh, perfectly said. And uh, uh, listen, I, I don't regret anything. We did not get the vaccine. Obviously, they're pushing it now, the medical community on uh, my wife and I trying to, but we will not do it. We're not going to compromise that, nor should we. Uh, we we've already talked about that. We have the antibodies. We're in better shape than people that have been vaccinated at this point, I would suggest back to you. And that's not a, that's not a wrong statement, right, Dr. McCullough? That's correct. I'm also COVID recovered. And I can tell your listeners, I had the British variant. I was in an FDA protocol. I treated uh, myself with hydroxychloroquine under the direction of a doctor through an FDA approved protocol. And I recovered. Uh, it took a long time. I had pulmonary symptoms. I had to go on these drugs. I wasn't completely better for about 35 days, uh, but I did recover. And I can tell you since that time, I've actually come face to face with red hot Delta patients, red hot Delta patients with fevers and very sick, no mask, no personal protective equipment, making a house call, getting blasted with COVID, and I can't get it a second time. I want Americans to understand you can't get it a second time. Once you're COVID recovered, someone can go right in your face and cough Delta in your face. You're not going to get it. And for those who think, I've been seeing a lot of emails recently, for those who think or swear that they absolutely know somebody who had it a second time, we're saying, no, you can't. And what they might have had, what, is something else? Or they thought they had it? Or... Well, what we know now is the CDC has said that the original PCR test couldn't distinguish between the flu and COVID. So in fact, one of the illnesses wow. may have been flu. The next one may have been COVID. We also know that the PCR tests are frequently false positive. Some of these tests, I had a patient the other day who swore that she had a second case of COVID-19. I looked up the test and it was at a cycle threshold of 45. Cycle thresholds that are very high like this, all they do is generate false positives. The CDC says, get a test with a cycle threshold less than 25 on a PCR or get an antigen test. So, so far, all of the purported second cases, and there's about a hundred of them out there, not a single one of them holds water. There's no, there's no confirmation by sequencing antigen or a reasonable PCR test that in fact, they were sick twice. All of these are false positive cases. The CDC has a paper on their website from the state of Kentucky, 500,000 cases. They think they have about 250 second cases but they don't, they don't give any disclosure. We don't know if someone's sick at one time or the other. We don't know if there are false positives or not. Put it this way. If it was possible to get really sick with COVID-19 twice, we would have seen millions and millions and millions of cases in the world. We haven't seen a single one. The CDC has thousands of vaccine failures on their website. They don't have a single natural immunity failure documented on the CDC website. Oh, that's a great point right there. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Marie says, my 30-year-old pregnant niece just diagnosed with COVID. What are the best treatment options? Uh, she's five months pregnant. What, what should she do? The good news is recent paper in Annals Internal Medicine shows pregnant women with COVID-19 have better outcomes than non-pregnant women the same age. 
So pregnancy is actually a protective state. That's great news. Now, if there's severe symptoms or medical problems underlying that, it can be safely and easily treated. Hydroxychloroquine is one of the few drugs that's actually safe in pregnancy, published studies of hydroxychloroquine in pregnancy, safe and effective. We can use azithromycin, we can use budesonide, prednisone, and we can use aspirin. These are all perfectly safe in pregnancy. So pregnant women can be easily treated. We should not have any pregnancy deaths in COVID-19. And the only ones that I'm aware of that get hospitalized or worse, have a worse outcomes are those denied early outpatient treatment. All right. Uh, Jenny says she has a question on natural immunity. Um, and uh, she says, my husband tests uh, periodically for antibodies. He had COVID-19 near mid-January of 2021. This past week, he tested negative for antibodies. I was curious why that is. What other tests do you currently recommend for immunity? immunity? My husband loves proof and he is right about his natural immunity. Hmm. Interesting. The antibodies drop off in everyone. So everyone can expect at some point in time, no matter how solid the case of COVID-19 was in terms of this documentation originally, the antibodies drop off six to nine months later. The antibody tests, all, by the way, all have different cut points. Most of them had positive controls of people sick enough to be in the ICU. So as an example, I had COVID-19. Uh, I went for a follow-up in my research protocol to look for antibodies with the Quest assay. I could not hit Quest. I never was antibody positive in Quest, even three months after having the illness. And we know about uh, 15 to 20% of people don't hit the level of these commercial antibody assays. Now, interestingly, I went and gave blood and a Carter blood center, and they do use an orthoclinical diagnostics assay, different cut point, and I was able to hit that antibody assay. So one suggestion is try a different assay, or the other one is to use the T-detect test uh, to check for T-cell immunity, but only do that if there's a question regarding the COVID-19 exposure. If this person has a solid documented case where they were sick and they had a positive antigen or PCR test, that's all you need. All you need is a solid documented case of COVID-19. There's no laboratory proof later on that's required when a patient has a solid initial case. Don't keep chasing it because you get disappointed. Okay, so if you're a year or two later after COVID and you, you're saying you don't have the antibodies anymore, they, they've gone down. So are you still safe from getting it a second time at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Just like with SARS-CoV-1, you know, the antibodies fade away, but people have uh, durable immunity. Same thing with chickenpox. You have durable immunity the rest of your life. It's because the body has T cells and other recognition cells that revive the immune response. The antibodies are only a proxy they're not absolutely the, the uh, proof positive of immunity. They're great when they're positive, but don't worry about it if they're negative. Okay, I'm glad you said that. I did not know what you just said. That's important. All right, Norm says, can you please give me your thoughts on the use of remdesivir? Remdesivir is uh, a failed Ebola drug. It's a intravenous polymerase inhibitor. And uh, it has very mixed data. Some studies show benefit, others don't. It clearly has toxicity to the liver and the kidneys. It's a five-day infusion. Uh, I even had a single patient get through five days of it because it's so toxic to the liver and the kidneys. And uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's all its patents and its royalties go back to China. Uh, this whole issue about rushing remdesivir forward, I think it was done out of desperation. It's not a highly effective drug. Um, I am much more favorable to the monoclonal antibodies uh, monoclonal antibodies given outpatient and the ones given inpatient. I would push for monoclonal antibodies over remdesivir. 
Okay, uh, this one is from Kara, and she says, urgent, my husband came down with COVID on Saturday morning. Uh, he started various treatments at home on Monday via prescriptions from an urgent care doctor, but he would not prescribe ivermectin or HCQ. We have insurance through Anthem, and it's a PPO. Where can I find a doctor who will give my husband the best possible treatment at this point? I've heard of someone else in our area receiving a prescription for ivermectin, but none of the pharmacies will fill it. Wow. We live in Bakersfield, California. Uh, can you help me? A couple of points just for the patients to understand is uh, when you're talking to doctors or even calling into a radio show like this, don't say Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We can't possibly know uh, what time frame we're talking about. So always put like day one of illness, day two, always characterize the illness in days. I can't tell you how many times patients start making me subtract dates. And I said, listen, I'm not going to do it. Tell me what day it is for you of illness. What day are we on? Because I get inundated with calls. So be prepared to, to get, a, get a piece of paper out and calculate day one, day two, day three, and don't have the doctor try to subtract dates. There's going to be mistakes made if you keep doing that. So just, it's day one, two, three, four, five, six. Always know the day of illness, okay? Now, if that person is over age 50, high-risk features are certainly a senior. The next step is to get a monoclonal antibody infusion. So if it's not improved, we have up to 12 days to get a monoclonal antibody infusion. As an outpatient, we feature the Regeneron product demanded. Uh, it's available. And, uh, and then after that, uh, uh, push the doctor for treatment. If the doctor will not offer uh, a sequence multidrug therapy, get a referral, push the doctor for a referral. That's their responsibility if they don't treat it to refer you. And if that doesn't work, then I suggest going to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, aapsonline.org, download the physician directory, find a physician in your area to prescribe the drugs or move on to one of the national telemedicine services. One of the things we're seeing is people are bypassing their doctors, they're bypassing the on-call doctors, and they're immediately going to these fallback mechanisms. Uh, Malcolm, we only have 500 hero doctors trying to treat the whole country right now. We are overloaded. And we got a million doctors sitting on the sideline, half a million nurse practitioners and physician assistants. They will only get in the game when their patients demand treatment. So their phone lines ought to be buzzing right now and people need to demand treatment and get treatment. If it's hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and a pharmacy declines it, move on to another one. Many of the chains will start to administratively deny people drugs, move on to neighborhood pharmacies and independent pharmacies. Yeah. Now there's a lot of requests back to doctors. I mean, and people are, it's just tough. Uh, Don uh, writes and he says, I would like a list of doctors in Texas that do early treatment of COVID-19. My wife and I are seniors and neither of us are vaccinated. Thank you. Nancy says, please let me know if you can help me find an MD for a medical exemption. Edward says, I'm trying to find a doctor near me to uh, for my PCP that I can go to who is against the COVID vaccines. Can you suggest any such physicians in my area of Ohio? Can you direct me to a site that can help me find one? I mean, the requests that are coming in here for looking for doctors or in the hundreds. Uh, it could be more than that. I don't know. Uh, what's the best advice we give to people like this? AAPSonline.org. Uh, download the physician directory. I'm going to send you the physician directory to post on America Out Loud. It's updated now about once a week. Uh, there is, by the way, a web entry so doctors can update themselves. And we need to populate and grow that list. We need doctors to come off the sidelines and start helping their patients. All right, we'll make a note on that and get the physician directory to uh, to you there, a link for that. But a lot of people are looking for this here, uh, for sure here. Uh, Kelly says, my dear friend just got pneumonia, then a few days later, COVID. 
Well, they probably were connected, uh, I'm guessing, but I don't know. She immediately went to the hospital and requested antibody infusion. Hospital refused, informing her she had to be 65. She's 55. She's still very ill and having a lot of difficulty breathing. They didn't give her any breathing treatments beyond what she's received uh, for the pneumonia and told her do not take, they told her do not take ivermectin or hydrox. She is so uncomfortable. Do you know any doctors in Bozeman, Montana, who could give her at-home therapies care? Yeah, same response. Well, you have to go to the fallback list. And I think that person ought to demand care. Uh, a 65 is an arbitrary age. I just had uh, a pastor in my church get a monoclonal antibody infusion at age 40, Malcolm. So there's no magic age of 55. Uh, typically, in the first 12 days, you still can administer it. Uh, we've seen all kinds of perverse actions. I've seen vaccinated patients be discriminated against and not given a monoclonal antibody infusion, if you can imagine that. Um, I've seen all different forms of therapeutic nihilism. That person should have gotten hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin plus the antibiotic, inhaled budesonide, prednisone, colchicine, full-dose aspirin, and probably blood thinners. So the bottom line is that person needs to turn around and understand they didn't receive the care they should and demand it. Okay, uh, last question here, and it's from Patricia. Do you have any concern for patients with a thoracic ascendant aorta aneurysm when they contract the virus? Does blood pressure typically increase with virus? Is the blood clot an aspect of the virus of concern for this condition? That's a difficult one. We do know those with aneurysms, uh, heart disease, mechanical or bioprosthetic valves, uh, all of those are an increased risk for the cardiovascular complications of COVID-19. Uh, but importantly, the one thing we are aware of, and this has been published in the journal Hypertension, is the vaccine. So individuals can, with the vaccine, have a massive rise in blood pressure and then actually have a catastrophe like a, a hemorrhagic uh, stroke in the brain or aortic dissection. And there was a vaccine injury victim who was on Laura Ingram. She went on Laura Ingram's show in the last few months, a woman in her 70s who's absolutely been devastated by the vaccine because of this huge surge in blood pressure and an endocranial hemorrhage. And again, this has been published in one of our best journals, cardiovascular journals called Hypertension. It's a, uh, a daughter journal of the parent uh, circulation. So uh, for this patient, no, the respiratory illness should be treated and managed fine, but the vaccine would be of particular uh, danger. Okay. All right. Uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, 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 in agreement with uh, millions of Americans and uh, many of our listeners here, uh, thank you for taking the time and really uh, being so diligent about the questions. Um, uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. And let me just say as a disclaimer, well, we're not giving medical advice. We can't give medical advice on a show like this, but we understand the hour of desperation and we're doing our best we can to get critical information to the listeners who desperately need it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the McCullough Report can be heard Saturday, Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, there's an encore at 7 p.m., so there are places to hear that on iHeartRadio uh, or uh, many of the networks, and we have apps as well. All of those connection points are back at AmericaOutloud.com. Uh, all the shows go to podcasts very early in the week, uh, uh, probably late Monday or so, and uh, again, it's a whole host of things going on back of the network, so check it out there, my friends. Thank you again for being with us on the mission. Uh, we're doing our best to get the information out to you. Uh, again, thank you. And remember, get involved, get bound.